turning your Bibles to the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to bring these together. Proverbs 18 and then John 15. I'm talking about life. Proverbs give us a lot of instructions. And he talked about the first week that I got up, I talked a lot about the fool. The fool. The fool. Fool has said there is no God. The fool has said I've got everything figured out. The fool despises instruction. The fool doesn't listen to his parents. The fool gets uh, upset when somebody tries to rebuke him and put him on the right path. That, that's all the fool. I, I don't want to be a fool. You know, I, I, I struggle enough trying to not put my foot in my mouth and, and say dumb things, and we all struggle with that. And so the first week we talked about words. Words have power. You can sit there and say, hey, it was just, I, I didn't mean that. No, those words that you say to your spouse when you're mad, how you get mad and scream at your kids or what you say to your neighbors, when you walk out of that job on the last day and you say those words that you've been wanting to say all that time, I tell you, those stick with those people. It, it doesn't just go away. They hold power. We talked about the importance of our words. Then we rolled into when you're talking about conflict. Words cause conflict. If you're here today, you've never had conflict, you've probably never talked to a person before, okay? Because I promise you have family, you have conflict. If you've ever been to a family reunion, you've had conflict. If you work a job, you have conflict. If you are married, you have had conflict, all right? And I know it's not always loud and vocal and, you know, throwing dishes up against the walls and stuff, but I'm telling you, we all have conflict, and the Bible gave us very clear illustrations Number one, what do you do? If you have conflict, there's a reminder of this. You get on Facebook and you tell everybody about it. Amen? You don't do that? So if you get mad at somebody, rather than going to talk to them, the best thing to do is to vent on Facebook. Well, that's that's the way our our culture runs today. You you hear just a little bit of truth or half story, and what do you do? You know, like that. You know what you do is you spread discord. And all of a sudden, the push of that button goes to hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And God said, what good did you do? Every word that proceeds out of your mouth needs to be to that of edifying and building them up. So what do we do? We start with us. We make the first move. We we use the power of humility. We sit there, Jesus, to to the disciples that let them down and down. He got on his hands and knees and he loved on them. We try to find out what their hearts are because hurt people hurt people. We try to get in their life and figure out what's going on. You you use the power of humility and then you you do what's right and you leave the rest to God. So I tried all that and they turned their back on me. They unfriended me. They cut me off. I'll tell you what, you can't make them love you. You can't make them forgive you. But you sure can do what's right. We talked about these things. Today, we will look at a very key aspect of the book of Proverbs. And like I said, Proverbs has these one-liners of truth, these one-liners of power, these one-liners of this is how you keep on the right track, and this is how you listen, this is how you make your life better. I want to look at some of these one-liners, but use the power and the illustration of Jesus Christ as as we go on this. This, what I'm talking to you about today, is not an option. I used to look at this as an option and thought, wow, this is just a bonus of life. I'm going to show you it's not an option. It will save you from grief. What I'm going to talk about today will rescue you from failure. It will keep you on track. It will bring the joy to your life that a lot of you are missing in your life. You say, what are you talking about? I'll take it so far, it's going to make you a better person. So what are you talking about? 
Genesis, God was given an illustration. I know it's about marriage, so don't think that I'm taking this away. But he said, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Let me tell you, according to God, man was not designed to be alone. And I, I, I mean, you're going to come back and say, well, you're saying that I have to be married. I know the following part. I will make him a help me. And God brought a woman into his life. And I, I'm going to tell you right now that I know not every person that is here is meant to be married. I, and I know I've had some people say I'm single and I'm happy being single. Praise the Lord. Paul was single and he said, man, I can do a lot of great things. And sometimes people look down at people saying, why aren't you married? Maybe God didn't intend for them to be married. And we're not getting out. But I tell you, what every person was intended to have is people around you in your life that are going to make you better. Amen. And I know sometimes people look at this and say, I can't believe he's talking about this on a Sunday. Yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's actually not in the Bible. It was actually one of the final teachings of Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. Did you know that? Did you know one of the final teachings that Jesus had as he's about to leave the disciples, he taught about friendship friendship. We're, we're going to look at that in John 15 in just a minute. But God created family. God created community. God created church. God created friends. Proverbs 18, 24. I'm going to give you some, just some key principles that I'm going to use over the next two weeks, okay? A man that hath friends will show himself friendly. So I'm going to cut all y'all right now that are sitting over there going, well, I'll tell you what, I go to this church and I don't have one friend. I'm going to ask you right now, how often are you making friends? You know, sometimes we walk into church like Charlie Brown. You know what I'm saying? We're just kicking the dirt and feeling sorry for ourselves. Life isn't about a pity party. The Bible says, hey, you want friends? You must show yourself to be friendly. We're going to get really deep into that, especially next week. So we'll get back to, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm talking about people in your life that are going to make you better. People that are in your life that are going to disciple you. People that are going to carry you when you're weak. People that that are going to be there for you without you asking them to be there. You say, what's the sign of a true friend? When you have to sit there, dude, I really need you, and you're bagging them, they're probably not the friend that I'm talking about. So let me give you guys some uh, key facts about friends. And we're going to use these principles, and I want you to point these out as we go through this. Number one, they're vital. Key friends, the friends that I'm talking about, the friends that make you better, the friends that iron sharpeneth iron. So man sharpeneth the the countenance of his friends. Let me ask you, if that verse is in Proverbs and God says, this is how it is. Every one of you have faults in your lives. That's what you have. You have that knife and you've used it a lot. Maybe you cut open cans or whatever and you use, dulled it on your countertop or whatever. He said, you know how you make that better? He said, you take that knife and you rub it up against something that's sharp or or that's hard like you are, like like another knife or a knife sharpener, and you do that. You know what happens when that happens? You begin to knock all the rough edges off that knife. And when that knife is done, having the conflict with that other person that came in contact with him, you walk away better. You are sharper. You are usable. You, you, you are able to do something for, with the life or the, the countenance or the attitude or the character that God created you. So let me ask you this. How are you going to knock off the edges? And if friends do that, you don't have friends, who's sharpening you? You think about that. The Bible doesn't say pastors sharpen people so a pastor should sharpen the countenance of his people. It doesn't say that. It's talking about the people that you're going to walk out of here with and go to lunch with and stay up late and talk with because you're going through a hard time. Those are the people 
that God said, I designed in your life to make you better. <coughs> you want to tell you a little history lesson? In the Bible, David had Jonathan, Paul had Silas, Moses had Aaron, Elijah had Elisha, Naomi had Ruth. Could keep going and keep going. You know what it was? There was somebody there that helped those leaders become better leaders. Somebody there that helped those people become better people all through their life. I look back on my life, and God gave me some really special friends. I, I think this picture was taken back when I was a teenager. In that picture, I've got my cousin Adam, my friend Bubba, my friend Brandon, and my friend Scott. Those guys right there, of course, it was Taco Bell. That was our hangout because it was cheap, okay? But uh, it was our hangout. We went to Taco Bell. That's why uh, some of you, it became such a tradition that I would not date any girl unless she liked Taco Bell. So it was one of the first questions I asked Jenny, the Lord is my witness, do you like Taco Bell? And then are you saved? But I can't, they were in one of those orders, I can't remember. <laughs> and... Uh, it was such a serious thing with us that we actually ended up getting our wedding picture taken in front of Taco Bell. And I think I showed you guys that before. So anyways, I don't know how I got off. These guys, along my life, from the time we were kids to the time we were teens to going through our 20s and going through our 30s, those are the guys that helped me keep on track. I can preach this all day long, and I'm going to show you the verses, but let me tell you, I can look back on my life when I was debating whether or not I should go back to Bible college, and those guys pushed me. I can tell you when I was dating a girl that was not meant to be my wife, and those guys told me. I can tell you when I didn't want to go to camp, and those guys pushed me to go to camp, and they provoked me in a way that other friends could not do, and at that camp is where I got saved. Good friends will make you better, and bad friends will lead you down a dark path. You need to understand that. Can I tell you guys, and I'm, I'm, to God be the glory, great things he has done. My friend Bubba right now is a deacon in his church. The dude in the back corner, Scott Kramer, is a pastor in, uh, in, uh, down south in Georgia. Brandon is a pastor in Alabama. I'm a pastor here at Fellowship Baptist Church, and my cousin Adam all of us, God has allowed to serve. And somebody in that picture that was part of that group that probably took the picture was Pastor Dave. And I look back at my life and I am thank God, I thank God that I had iron that helped sharpen my iron to make me who I am today. Amen. And I'm not saying that I've arrived because nowhere in the Bible that we're going to read this where God says, all right, you're all good. No, this is a continual action of what I'm supposed to do. Amen. Friends, godly friends are vital. Number two. They are developed. They are developed. Now, I'm going to get into this ne next week and, and some of these principles. I, I want to lay this out because I'm, we're going to hit this hard. They are developed. I want to tell the younger generation right now, clicking the word friend on a web page does not mean you have a lot of friends. Amen. Right. Having followers on Instagram and Twitter and, and having people that chat back to you on Marco Polo and, and send the videos and do all this stuff doesn't mean you have a lot of friends. Amen. Go through a hard time and see who shows up. Amen. See who speaks up when temptation comes into your life. See the one that's provoking you to do wrong versus right. That's what makes it. It, they're developed. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. Number three, godly friends like this, sharpening friends, are few. They are few. I, I want to make sure that I explain as we go through this. If you look around this room and say, all these people are my friends, I'm telling you, you're not understanding what I'm talking about right now. Amen. 
They might be friends in your life, but there is a core group of the ones that speak into your life that shape and sharpen you of who you are, and I'll explain that in a minute. Just keep it in your mind. When you say, all these people should be doing this, no, they should not. And I'll explain that, because I've done other messages about biblical fellowship. Fellowship is we all encourage. We all carry each other's burdens. We all go through life together. We all worship together. But what I'm talking about today is a little different and more intimate. Number four, they are faithful. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. They have your back. I'm going to show you that today in Scripture. Let me say, by the way, this is not just a study about the friend's that you should have in your life. This is a study about the friend that you should be. A lot of times we're sitting there with ours, I wish, I wish, I wish. Maybe you need to start being rather than start demanding. We'll get into this. So Jesus is our ultimate example, and I've preached on the 12 disciples, and I have done that. I've compared that to life group and sharing life together, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm going to take this deeper than that and not saying that that's not connected because it absolutely is. And what I'm going to talk about is found within those relationships. See, the 12 disciples walked together and they grew together and they served together. And Jesus could have done that with 200 or 2,000. He could have. He was God. But he chose 12. And inside of that, he created a bond and a unity that was indescribable to literally that these men were able to go out and change the world together. But let me show you something that we often overlook about the 12 disciples. Don't turn there. Let me just read these verses. We're going to get to John 15. In Mark chapter 5, verse 37, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Picked out three. Listen to this. Mark chapter 9, verse 2, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. Do any of you guys ever notice how frequent that is in Scripture? Read John and his account at the Last Supper. And Peter is talking down there, and John has his head on the breast of Jesus, and they're laying there, and they're talking there, and John Sullivan, two weeks ago, laid this out in Scripture. It is not that Jesus had favorites, okay? And a lot of times we do that. Just because you have somebody in your life that you turn to first doesn't mean you don't love everybody else. And sometimes we get so bent out of shape about it. I thought we were friends. Man, we get so jealous over the petty things. We're like a bunch of junior high boys or something. Jesus was establishing something. Do you know Jesus was 100% God? And 100% man? I don't believe that. He died. He died on the cross. He bled on a cross. Jesus ate and he fellowshiped, and he had friends, and all of this stuff is real, and it really happened in life. So let me tell you, and let me teach you what Jesus taught us, and we're going to go to Proverbs, and we're going to grab principles, we're going to plug them in, and we're going to walk through this. Number one, true friend. I want to talk about the true friends. You identify if you're this person, or if you have these people in your life. A true friend connects, and let me explain this. This is very much so part of next week's message when we get in there, but I cannot preach what I want to preach today without explaining this. See, today is we're very short on authentic relationships today. Very short. Because I am not knocking everything dealing with cell phones and and our, our laptops and iPads and things like that. But let me tell you, we have quickly substituted authentic relationships for digital pages. And you're saying it's a great way to connect. It is to post and say, I have a birthday or, you know, we're, we're going to church or, man, this is something good. 
But this is never going to reach out and give you a hug when you're down. This this is never going to be able to know what you're going through. This is never going to be there when you're in the hospital and you have a loved one that's dying. This is never going to be there to call you out because you're falling into sin. This cannot substitute authentic friendships. And I know it's, it's, it's a great tool. It can be used for good and it can be used for bad. The Bible is explaining in this passage how Jesus connected to them. It didn't just randomly happen. He intentionally made himself part of their lives. The, these men from this relationship of Jesus, Peter ends up being the preacher in Acts chapter 2. John and these other men turned the world upside down. They, they went from fishermen to writing the Bible, preaching revivals and starting churches. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. They shared life together. They ate together. This was a physical connection. Do you know why this fails so often? Because a lot of times we never take it further than this. They, they, they went to church services together. They, they did. I can prove that over and over again. They, they, they fed the 5,000. They carried the baskets. They carried them back. They got into boats. They went across the water. They did all those things. Guys, there was a physical life experience between these men. A lot of times I ask people today, do you have real friends in your life? Yep. So-and-so and I go fishing. So-and-so, we, we game together. We, 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 we go out and we play sports together. We're playing on the same softball team. But let me ask you, you might have that physical side of the relationship that's there. But let me show you, in the Gospels, Jesus carried it much more than that because he had emotional connection with these men. Look at this, John 15, 12. I'm going to take you right to Scripture. And I'm going to show you some things that you're going like, oh my goodness. I had no idea that God preached this principle of friendship so deep. Listen to this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He sets the stage. It's not just love. This is love that is patient. This is love that is forbearing. This is love that doesn't, doesn't click on friend to you just because you made them mad, because friends make each other mad. This isn't friends that lie to them to try to make them feel better. This is, this is love that God had that cares about you that stepped out of heaven. He said, the love that I have for you, I came to you and I loved you and while you were yet sinners. Don't give up on your friends because they mess up. Amen. Don't give up on your friends because they run to the world. And I'm not saying that sometimes a relationship has to change and they're trying to drag you in a bar and doing what's wrong. You draw the line. But I tell you, you don't stop loving these people. Amen. The love that Jesus served Listen to verse 30. Greater love has no man than this. Listen, listen. he's getting touchy-feely here, if you will. He's touching their, their, their hearts. He's saying, why I'm here, that a man laid down his life for his friends. You want to know this emotional connection that God has between two friends? is a friend that's willing to sacrifice for somebody else. It's a friend that's willing to go pick them up for church or call them out in the situation or give them themselves to, make, to get them through a hard time. Listen to this, verse 14. Here it is. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I've commanded. Henceforth, I call you not servants. Let me show you something that has happened. All this time, if you read through the scriptures, you're my servants, you're my servants, follow me, obey. Jesus stopped at that point and said, hey guys, from here on out, you're not my servants. Listen to what he says. The servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus stops. You can imagine the hush going across this room. Jesus says, I'm no longer going to reference you just as my servants. He said, I have already told you why I'm here. 
I've already told you what I'm about to do. I've desired to sit down and have this meal with you. I've desired, this is my body. I wasn't there, but I guarantee there was a lot of tears in that room. There was a lot of emotions going on. There was a connection that wasn't with the 5,000. It wasn't with the Pharisees. It wasn't with the people of the world. He said, this is my body. And I break it for you and I give it to you. Will you love each other the way that I love you? This is my blood. I'm going to shed it on the cross. He said, I've called you friends. That friend is a connection or a bond. He said, guys, if you will, he said, I have developed a closeness with you guys. And because I have, you know what emotional connection is? It opens a door and it lets people in. You know why I'm telling you this right now? When he said, I I have told you what the Father has made known unto you, and I have told you things that you didn't know before. This is Jesus right now. You know what authentic friendships are? Are the people in your life that you let into your issues and your failures. When the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. When the Bible says, talking about bearing one another burdens, and we've talked and we preached through all those things before, and those things are so vital. But I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm talking about an inner circle of friendship, an inner circle of connection that Jesus Christ had with him right there. He said, guys, I'm going to break down a wall right now, and I'm going to tell you stuff that nobody else knows. He let them in. Who have you let into your junk? Your problems? Your fears. They say, what's about to happen? Oh, I'm going to walk you into what's about to happen. And I think you'll be a little surprised at how it happened. What's transpiring inside of this situation? There was an emotional connection that Jesus had with these friends. There was a physical, no doubt. But Jesus brought it to another one, and he opened up his heart and says, guys, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm facing. Here's where I'm at. But then there was a spiritual connection. You want to know where the, the, the sharpening starts coming in? You, know, you want to know where the make me better person starts coming into your life? You want to know what's going to keep you out of trouble and keep you on track and make you a better husband and better wife, a better teenager? I, I'm going to show you. He said in verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I went after you and have ordained you. That you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask in the name of the Father, he shall give it to you. Do you guys see what's going on? Jesus is not talking about fruits. This is not apples and pears here. He said, you know, everything that we've talked about spiritually, the fruit of the Spirit and the things that should come out of your life, he said, they should be there. And I've invested in you that the Spirit and the spiritual things should come out of your life. Let me ask you, who do you make better spiritually? Who do you call out like this? He said, guys, here's the thing. I have walked with you. I've invested in you so that you will have spiritualness in your life. That guy that comes out and tries to get you to go to the bar every night after work is not your friend. I don't care what label you put on him. And that teenager that's always trying to drag you into those parties that you shouldn't be and try to encourage you to lie to your parents and all that is not your friend. I thank God that I'm going to tell you, my friends at times made mistakes. I can tell you the times that they've made mistakes, but I can tell you the other times that we spoke up to correct those mistakes and speak truth in those things. Iron sharpens iron. You know what Jesus is doing right there in that passage? He's making these guys better. He's calling them out. True friends make you better. 
without selfish motives. We'll get into that next week, but I'll tell you a lot of times, you know how we pick our friends? What can you do for me? You know, I, I need this about you, and I'm asking you to do that. And that's not even how Jesus, Jesus came in and he laid down his life for them. There was a connection. If you want to say whether you have friends, there can be the physical connection through sports and activities and gaming and hanging out and weekends and whatever. But there needs to be an emotional where you let them into the issues of life and the things that you're facing. And Jesus brought it further that he's provoking them spiritually and making them better. There's a connection. Number two, a true friend, the mark of a true friend, carries See, the thing is, everyone here is going to go through a hard time. And everyone here is going to face temptation. And everyone here will hit times in your life that you want to quit. I promise you, everyone here. See, I want to take the same story but a different book. If you guys will just shift with me to Mark 14. So same story, different book. Just go back one with me, okay? John 14. Here, here at the end of this emotional connection that he had and he brings out and he talks about friendship and how this is no more servants and things. Watch what happens next and I want to illustrate this to you. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Here goes Jesus. Can I just stop for a minute? What's at the Mount of Olives? What's about to happen? He's about to pray all night. He hasn't eaten. He prays so earnestly that he, he, he sweats drops of blood. He, in the, in the middle of this, he gets arrested. He's lied about, he's lied to. He's betrayed, he's stuck in the back. He's let down. He is scourged. Almost to the point of death, he carries his own cross. He lays down on that cross, he gave himself on that cross, he dies on that cross, and he's mocked on that cross. Yeah, that's the last thing that happens right here. Do you guys get that? In a sense, when he stood up from that dinner, that was the last sense of peace he'll ever have. When he stood up from that dinner, that was the last time he's ever going to sing in a joyful setting. That was the last time to eat a meal without the, 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 the sponge being shoved in his face. That was it. Can I read it again? When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Here they go. I want you guys to go with me. I'm going to tell you something that God showed me that I never understood before. I've always preached this and I've always thought this, that everything that was about to transpire was all about the disciples. I never recognized this being about Jesus. And I'm not saying it's not about Jesus. Don't take that... I'm saying I always thought it was the perspective that Jesus was going to use it. I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you something. Not realizing the humanity of Jesus Christ and the fact that maybe he was bringing them there to lean on them. Amen. Before you jump to inclusions, ah, I don't, verse 26, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, Mark 14, 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Listen to this. Pay attention to the scriptures as we read this. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And then he walks away. Watch. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John. I want you three with me. I need you three with me. And he takes Peter, James, and John. Was he playing favorites? 
He's going deeper into the garden. I, I don't know if those guys, I, I don't understand exactly. And I've saw pictures and videos and movies and everything. I don't know. You guys, I need with me. Now listen to this. When Jesus gets away with Peter, James, and John, Jesus changes suddenly, listen to this, and began to be sore amazed and very heavy. Let me ask you this question. Who is he being sore amazed and very heavy with? Peter, James, and John. It's not about the number. And let me tell you, your close friends that sharpen you will be few. Don't expect the crowd to do what the core was meant to do. And a lot of you have the crowd, but you don't have the core, that you don't have somebody to say, go with me and stand with me and sit with me when I'm going to face the darkest places of my life. Now, don't get me wrong. He was God. He was almighty. He was creator. He was all these things. He was man. He bled. He was burdened. He was broken. The sore, amazed, means surrounded by grief. Have you ever hit something where you walk out of your job or you walk out of your house or you get news from your family and all of a sudden you are like, oh my goodness. Where, where it's not just a thought that comes in your mind, but I mean it's a pressure that comes down on you. It said in that passage, he began to be very heavy, which literally means distressed. This is our God, okay? The humanity of our God, the Lord Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Never leave out the humanity side of Jesus Christ. I'm not belittling the God side of Jesus Christ. He says to these three guys, listen to this, verse 34. He saith unto them, this is what he says to the three. He admits, he confesses, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. You want to talk about being real? You want to talk about a physical, spiritual, emotional connection that Jesus had at that moment with those people? Here it is. And let me tell you, every one of us FaceTimes like this. It might not be to this degree, but I promise you FaceTimes like this. Listen to what he says. I confess. He says three things. I just asked you guys for three things. Terry here. Watch. And later on, we read where he says, pray. And he went forward a little, and listen to this, and he fell on the ground with Peter, James, and John, and he falls over. In the humanity of Jesus Christ, he falls out and prayed that if it be possible, the hour might pass from him. So I ask you, why did Jesus have them there? Why did he separate the three? Why did he confess that? Why did he show that emotion? Why did he do there? The word Terry there literally means just stay here with me. Because I'm not trying to read into it. But he says up to him and he says, Peter, James, and John, stay here with me. Stay here with me while I pray about the thing that is the greatest thing that's ever been known. The greatest burden in my life. Stay here with me. And then he said the word watch. Now try to figure that out. The word watch, you know what the Bible talks about? Watch and be, because the wiles of the devil, that he's coming as a roaring lion. We know the watch and the warning, it's the same watch that we get when they talk about the enemy approaching and standing on the wall and Nehemiah and all those. The same watch. Be aware, be attentive. I need you to be with me. I need you to have my back. 
I'm not saying Jesus didn't know what was going on, but I tell you, his personal request to those guys was this. I want you to be with me. I want you to watch with me. And I want you to pray with me. I ask you right now to carry this burden with me. Peter, James, and John. Who do you stand with in their darkest hours? Who do you go with when they're in their darkest hours? I'm not talking about, yeah, we're best friends and hey, I got your back and BFF and all this other stuff that we throw. I'm talking about the real deal. One last point. We'll close with this. Next week, we just carry it right on over, okay? A true friend confronts. And he cometh, verse 37, he cometh and he find them sleeping and saith unto Peter, sleepest thou? Question. Peter. You know, I always made this about Peter. You know, I always did. I, I was thinking, but this is what Jesus says. Couldest not thou watch one hour, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation? The spirit truly is ready and the flesh is weak. And again, he went and prayed and he spake the same words. Could you not pray me? It, I, notice what's going on in this passage. And see, Jesus comes and he rebukes the ones that he cares about. He confronts them on being a bad friend. He confronts them on their failures. He confronts them where they drop the ball. You, you know what true friends do? They confront. And I'm going to show you this is the most Proverbs that we could pull out, and I could go on and on with this. You realize when you speak truth into a relationship, when they are speaking, you are being a true friend. And a lot of times we find people that are more worried about people's feelings than they are about their future. Do you guys realize how dangerous that is if you see your friends slipping and you care more about their feelings? Well, I just didn't want to hurt them. You know what Jesus said to Peter? He said, hey, wake up. The devil desires to have you, Peter. Not good things are coming for you, Peter. You need to wake up, Peter. Because that's what friends do. Proverbs 27, verse 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Let me break that down for you. Confronting a friend to his face is a whole lot better than trying to keep it secret behind his back. Hey, what do you think about this? And then you lie to him and your friend says, well, you already told me you didn't like that. Well, I don't want to hurt him. You're not a friend. You're not a friend. A friend calls him out and says, what you're doing is sin. A friend calls you out and says, hey, how you treated your wife today was disrespectful. The attitude, the lie, what you did on your taxes, how you treated your kids. This attitude of whatever, it doesn't matter. Listen, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Do you know why it says faithful are the wounds of a friend? Because sometimes when you tell the truth, it hurts. It hurts. But I tell you, I'd rather tell my friends the truth, and I can tell you and go through that picture one more time, and go picture person to person to person and tell you how we've all been up in each other's business. But thank God that it got me to where I could be here today and not somewhere else. And some of you have to understand right now that you are a friend to so many people. You're not a friend until you get up in their business. You know why Jesus did everything that he did? Because he knew that Jesus had promises and, and a plan for his life. He knew that he had that. And he knew so did Satan. And I thought, how often could we have rescued our friends and saved them from grief? 
we would just do what God's commanded us to do.